Now we come to the thrilling final episode of our radio drama. Ron Wolfley. Yeah, baby, bring it on! Luke Lipinski. The great Luke Lipinski. You're <laughs> devaluing the word great if you follow with Luke Lipinski. <laughs> Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Final hour of the show. Kellen Olson is in for Wolf today. Kellen, the show just flies by when you're here, except when you're talking about how good U of A is. And then I want to smash my head into this monitor. I think like the seventh best player in Arizona would be the second best player on Arizona. So I'm not exactly compounding sure. like this issue. It's like, see this bar that I'm eating right here? Don't say the name of it. It's very cute that Arizona State's excited that it has a real point guard that's young when we have a 17-year-old phenom who barely gets playing. Unnecessarily hurtful. Yeah. This is not the Adorable. This bar that I'm eating, mm-hmm. it tastes like somebody ate a tree and threw it up. <laughs> and I, it doesn't say that anywhere on the wrapper, so it's very misleading. If it has organic, gluten-free, vegan, all of that stuff, like it has like four or five of those qualifiers, it's going to probably taste like a tree at to some be, point. To be fair, I didn't read the wrapper, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't say, tastes like somebody ate a tree and then threw it up Did into the Did James wrapper. Jones read the wrapper on the trade deadline? Oh, <laughs> find out next. All right, so this is James Jones on the uh, the Devin Booker timeline. He was on with Burns and Gambo yesterday, and, and they asked him to clarify it. When we say evaluate in four weeks, we're going to evaluate in four weeks. You know, there's a lot of progress that can be made over the next, you know, two to three, four weeks. And so to be be honest and transparent, we just want to make sure we have a, an accurate timeline that doesn't that doesn't put pressure on either side of the recovery. So that was labeled clarifies timeline. I'm not sure he really did, but I think to be fair, we all need to remember when they say gonna reevaluate in four weeks, that doesn't mean that he's playing in four weeks in one day. I mean that's what's scary. He might not play till after the trade deadline, which is six weeks from today, right now. In fact, isn't the trade deadline at one o'clock? Or am I making that up? It might be six six weeks from like this exact second. I'm trying to remember like the Ryan McDonough, the the McNinja era, where we we would just know that the Suns were going to make a deal with like the last thirty minutes of the trade deadline. He would always wait until and it's like it's one or two, three somewhere okay. in there, early afternoon. So somewhere in this range right here, six weeks from today, I'm going to be on these airwaves screaming that the Suns haven't done enough, probably, and just like losing my mind. And Wolf's going to be like talking about a playoff game. I'm talking about the Super Bowl at that point. Uh, all right. More on uh, on Devin Booker from James Jones. They asked him, and you heard this clip from uh, from Eric Ruby's update, but I'll play it again real quick. If there's any regret for letting him play when he came back. No, I mean, anytime, anytime our players get hurt, um, if they're completely healthy, if they're you know banged up, if they're coming back from injury, uh, internally you always think about what can you do better. Um, that's just the nature of, of, of the team because we never want to see our guys get hurt, never want to see our guys get injured. Um, but you try to balance that with, you know, a, a player's ability to perform and their desire to play. And, uh, you know, you just do the best you can. But for us, it's, you know, we, we're always consciously trying to make sure that we're not putting our guys at risk. And when guys get injured, you know, the, the players play, the organizations, you know, we're there to, to help and support them. So. Look, whether it, it's smart or not, and in this case I'm not saying it wasn't smart, but just in general, as a general rule, I always kind of side with the team that lets their players play. You know what I mean? I, I'm I'm not a big fan of the Spurs a few years ago just being like, oh, we're going to rest our whole team tonight. Well, why? It's Tuesday, obviously. It's Tuesday is rest day. Like, I like it when the teams and the players actually want to play. I will ask you this, though, Kellen. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of injuries this season for the Suns. Yeah. Is I thought coming in we might see... Hey, a guy got hurt. He should be out a week. He's going to sit a week and a half just to be safe. 
what is going on? I mean, there's no reason that they would ever look at Landry Shamit and be like, we're going to sit you because you're not 100%. They want him playing. Is it just bad luck this season? Just bad luck, yeah. Two years ago, they basically didn't have any injuries, and that was one of the reasons people doubted the team coming into last year. And then last year, they had so many injuries, but it was just a lot of this guy's going to miss a couple of games. He's not going to be here for this road trip. But they have had... I, I'm trying to remember exactly. So they had Chris Paul with it with his hand last year, and I, and I want to say DeAndre had like an ankle sprain specifically that forced him to miss like maybe eight or nine games, something that high. But in terms of double digit games missed over like one stretch specifically, where it was like, yes, this guy missed 14 games, but he missed three here, six here. He's like, no, the campaign is coming up on double digits for this shift. Like yeah. I believe he's he's at game number eight now, and and the next one will be nine. Obviously, Cam Johnson is in the in the high 20s right now. He's probably going to get in the 30s. Chris Paul. Paul already had that stretch where he missed 14, and Devin Booker is about to have one of those stretches right now. So that is four of your most of six, four out of six of your most important players that have gone through that type of stretch. And like when Mikael Bridges like took a hard screen when he was going through a screen and stayed down for a second, I was like, oh my gosh! Like it's it, like they cannot afford to have anyone else get injured right now. Bridges and it doesn't matter. He'll yeah. just play right through it. He could a, a semi truck could drive onto the court, run him over, and I'd be like, hey, he's probably he's probably maybe questionable he's for like tomorrow's Buda game Baker. or, or probably. He'll, yeah. he'll probably play. Um, I'm sure they would get along. They probably, yeah. I would listen to that radio show. That's, Buda Baker, that Mikhail podcast. Just, yeah. In fact, they should just be on this show. Since Please don't our take idea. our jobs. No, don't. <laughs> join us. We, we, it was our idea. Um, here. Look at, okay, so what the, the Suns, let's go Suns starting lineup last year, right? Or just, not even starting lineup, but just ranking like the, your, your important players, right? So, okay, so Devin Booker would be number one. So you'd go Booker. And then in some order, Chris Paul, Mikel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, right? And then your main guy off the bench was, was Cam Johnson. And now if you spin that forward to this year and you say, okay, you've lost or given away Jay Crowder and you've lost Cam. So who's your next, who was supposed to be your sixth man? It was supposed to be campaign, right? Okay, well, if it's not campaign, he's hurt. Okay, Landry Shamit, right? The point here is of your top eight guys, you are playing without five of them right now. Probably... One, five, six, seven, and eight. You're probably you're playing without five of your most important eight players for this season, and one of them is apparently voluntarily, but the other four are not. And this is where I feel like we were four four weeks into the season or so, and we were saying, yeah, they don't miss Jay Crowder at all. And I think it was it was air with hindsight, of course, the benefit of it, but it was an error on our parts to read into it that quickly and just not expect that at a certain point. Like the burden, like the the extra weight on their shoulders of having a top six guy in your rotation, just you're getting zero from him. He's not even around. And then more importantly, you haven't gotten anyone to directly replace him because it would have been another thing if if Jay was out or whatever, and they would have made a trade for another guy in the offseason or signed someone at his position specifically to help. But that part of the rotation, that's where Cam Johnson was supposed to step up. And that's the part where it's hurt specifically with his injury. But with that being said, behind him is is Torrey Craig and Ish Wainwright, sort of the same guys like Josh Akogi, Damian Lee have kind of factored into the rotation in those minutes, I guess, to a certain extent, but not a guy that replaces what Jay does, and that's what's really hurt them, specifically with him being out, and why so many fans wanted to see this kind of deal done before the start of the season, let alone at this point now where we're two and a half months in. There's probably not a right answer for this, and I don't know why I'm just asking you questions now, but I demand answers. With Jay Crowder, why not at least spin it or throw the story out there that you might bring him back or something? 
You know what I mean? Or if you're not going to play him so he has more trade value, why not just be like, hey, you know, we're kind of, you know, Jay and I are kind of, us, or we're, we're sort of patching things up just to drive up the trade value at all. Right now it feels like this is what the trade feels like for the, the Suns. We don't want this guy. He doesn't want to be here. Give us something good. To keep the clay, the case closed and like not ongoing, right? So we didn't even know this was a thing until Jay tweeted, nine nine won't be there or whatever." When, yeah. when he, and then we're like, "What?" And then two, hopefully two, he's tweeting about Wayne Gretzky, but he's not. Two days later, right before training camp, we get the note that he's not going to be there. They've mutually agreed on this and so on. And then the the deal was just done. It, it was like we knew about it for seventy two hours, and then it was already over. Basically, okay, like, yeah, yeah. he's getting traded. And if you do that type of thing, you leave the door open. Then it's this kind of thing that continues to linger in a situation where like he could come back, and then it just becomes a thing in the building. And, and I don't I, it. It's just known there that like he's he's not around. It's it's moving on, and they're moving on. And they spent, I think the the players especially like talking to them and talk and asking them about it at media day and all that kind of stuff. Like I, they kind of used that time as well for themselves to kind of move on from the fact that he wasn't going to be a part of their team anymore. And they got through it, and that kind of just leaves the door open for it too much. I, and I don't disagree with that. It's good logic, but then the follow up to that would be okay. If we're moving on from him, we don't want this to linger. We also traded him in late November or something. You know what I mean? And you've got GMs being like, why do we want the guy who won't play for a contender right now? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) either he doesn't want to play for a contender or they would rather fall in the standings than have him play. Either way, it's not driving up his value. I've got to assume it's on Jason more than the Suns, just based on the situation. I would would think at this point, yeah. If you are headed to the uh, College Football Semifinal at State Farm Stadium, get the party started at the College Football Hall of Fame free tailgates uh, starting at 10 a.m. on the Great Lawn at Sportsman's Park. There's music, food, beverages, and special guests to make this tailgate party memorable. Admission is also free. 10 a.m. on the Great Lawn at Sportsman's Park. When we come back... What led to J.J. Watt's retirement? Well, I don't know if this is our final ever edition, but it's one of the final editions of Total Wattage, and it's next. Wolf and Luke, Kellen Olsen in for Wolf on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We need to turn it up. Let's turn it up. Let's go. When Cards Defensive and J.J. Watt's on the mic, the power meter registers an overload. How much gas do you feel like you have left in the tank? A whole lot. A whole lot. They got a deal with us. Welcome to the big leagues. Total Wattage with Wolf and Luke. Well, we did this a lot last year, and then J.J. Watt got hurt. And we've done it a little bit this year, but now we only have a couple weeks left to do it. Total Wattage, rapid fire, right through the J.J. Watt audio from yesterday. Kellen Olsen, this is your first experience with Total Wattage. But I will tell you this, the first clip is a long one, but it's worth it. This is J.J. Watt telling the story of Jesse Lucada's reaction to J.J. Watt's retirement earlier this week. I posted the tweet yesterday, and then I just kind of put my phone down because I knew it would be crazy. I took my son to uh, his pediatric appointment. We took him to his doctor's appointment. And I'm coming home, and I'm like, all right, let me check my phone. Literally, it's just it's crazy. Um, but I'm scrolling through it, and there's this number that I don't recognize that FaceTimes me. Like it's, And I'm like, all right, I'm not going to answer a FaceTime. I don't know. So I just let it go to voicemail, and then I get a text from that number. And it's a voice memo. I'm like, who is this number? So I play the voice memo, and it's, I wish I could play it so bad. I wish so bad. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him if I can later. I don't want to now. 
and it is like incoherent, complete incoherence. And it's uh, and I'm like, what the hell is this? And I, I literally thought it was like distorted from from the phone. So ten seconds later, a picture comes through, and it's is Jesse Lucetta, our rookie outside linebacker, and he has like cotton balls and blows his mouth. He just got his wisdom teeth out. <laughs> he's high off his ass. He has no clue what he's doing. And, it, and he sent, like, in the message, it says, like, JJ, I just heard you're retiring. I, all I want is a jersey at the end of the season. But I mean, it is incoherent. Like, beyond incoherent. I listened to it 10 times to understand what he was saying. And, uh, and so, so then I'm like, I laugh my ass off. I mean, I'm dying laughing. So I FaceTime him, and he answers, and he is still gone. I mean, just completely gone. And I'm like, Jesse, what, the, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, I just want a jersey. And like, he's just like, he can't speak. What Whatsoever. And then like four hours later, I get a text from Justin. He goes, he goes, I still want that jersey, man. He goes, but I'm sorry for the call. They had literally just told me when I woke up from the anesthesia that you're retiring. <laughs> I was like, it, I mean, I, when I tell you, I was dying laughing. It was the funniest. I'll see if I can get him. I'll get his permission to give me the clip because it's gold. It's gold. He's getting the jersey. I told him. I said, you got the jersey. You made my day. You won the whole day. I tell you this, Kellen, J.J. Watt should, um, he should get the permission from Jesse Lucada to, to play that for everybody to hear, but then he should hold it until his Hall of Fame induction speech, and then he should play it. Ooh, it's a great idea. I, I just love the thought of, in a panic, all the drugs kicking in, like, I didn't get my jersey yet. I've only got two weeks left. Oh, no. Uh, more from J.J. Watts says he's ready now that he's going to retire in basically a week and a half. He's ready to commit his energy to other things. I'm ready for. I'm ready to not commit all my energy to that. I'm ready to uh, watch my son grow up. I'm ready to spend time, more time with my wife. Uh, I'm ready for a new challenge, whatever that new challenge may be. Um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what else is out there. I feel like that new challenge is just going to be like texting his two brothers in Pittsburgh and taunting them constantly. Yeah, they're going to be annoyed by him. <laughs> Maybe they'll have a show. Maybe like it'll be triple wattage or something. It'll be on some random. TV oh yeah, station. they'll do the Kelsey brothers thing. Yeah, where like they have the a Wahlbergs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. He's uh, going to be watching football for sure. That's true. Maybe they. You know what? He should be on the Manning cast at the very least to start things off. All right. More from JJ Watt. What are you going to do post career? I have no idea. I really don't. I have no idea. Um, I got plenty of time to think about it, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but I really don't know. And the question of if he has gotten those calls that we all know he's going to get from TV networks yet? I'm sure I have. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I haven't looked at my phone a whole lot the last couple of days. I'm trying, slowly trying to get back to all the text messages and the, and the nice, nice heartfelt messages from everybody. Um, I'm going to definitely, after the season, you know, read them again because it's emotional. I mean, there's a whole lot of people, and, and I've realized how how many people truly are special and care, and I'm very thankful for all the great people. More from J.J. Watt here as it is total wattage. Talking about his retirement, said he's just thankful for what he's been able to do in football. Here I am now, and I'm extremely thankful, and uh, uh, like I said in my post, uh, my heart is so full, and I have so much gratitude um, for the people that have helped me get here, for the people that have made it special, for the teammates, for the coaches, for the fans, for all the workers and the staff members, and um, the people day in and day out who make my life easy. I mean, I get to play a game for a living. It's truly the best job in the world. I chase around a little ball. I get to tackle people. And... Uh, 
I mean, it's it's been incredible. People do my laundry. People set up the drills. People take down the drills. People set up the weights for me to lift. Uh, people make the food. People clean up the food. Like, what more could you want? And on top of it all, I get paid to do it. I mean best job in the world. I feel like he was talking himself back into coming back there by the end of that. He was thinking about meal prep and he was like, yeah. oh, I gotta like hire a chef now, all this stuff. <laughs> I want to do dishes. Yeah. JJ, why'd you play in the league for 27 years? I don't want to have to do my own dishes. <laughs> Come on, I think that's a good enough That's a great reason. perk. Uh, he was also asked if he thinks he'll regret the decision to walk away because he is... You know, he's, he's basically walking away on top. It's not it's not winning the Super Bowl and going out as, like, Super Bowl MVP, and obviously the team is nowhere near the playoffs. But in terms of his play, he's playing pretty good football. No. Um, no. I'm, How do you tell you? Um, because I'm, I'd much rather go out playing good football, knowing that I could still play, and knowing that hopefully people remember me playing good football, than to go out limping out and being forced out and knowing that I probably should have done it earlier. You know how there's stuff, there are just some things in life, like there are things where it's like, okay, here's the situation presents itself and you're really confident in your decision, but then there's like that next level stuff, Kellen, where it, you know it only happens once or twice a year, maybe even less, where you're like, I know in my heart 100%, I'm right. This is the right thing to do. And then sometimes you have no control over it and it gets ruined anyway. He has control over this and that's sort of what he sounds like right there. Just seems like the, the crossroads era kind of, or, or crossroads kind of moment got there for him too, where where he did kind of see the two paths and like you don't even know when that time is going to come but it seemed like he knew probably knew coming into this season that it could be potentially and then he wanted to feel it out and then by the end of the year by this moment I'm sure he kind of like felt like yeah this is what I gotta do he had to come back from a pretty bad injury last year and it was all just to come back for that playoff game they did ask him when he knew I'm known for a little while um, I've known yeah easily weeks I mean I've known for a while um, it's just it's uh it's it's the right time. Like it just it feels like the right time. I mean, my body. I put so much into the game, and the wins and the losses, uh, the mental stress and passion that comes with it. Um, it just weighs on you. It's, it's heavy. I mean, it's really heavy, and so losses are very tough to take. Um, and, you know, you live with the highs and the lows, and I've, I've always said that I would way rather live with the highs and the lows than never know the middle. You know, I, I don't want to just be blocked. Um, but I got a son now. Um, obviously, I had a, a heart scare in the middle of the year, so there's there's certainly some of that that played into it. Um, but I'm I'm very happy and I'm very at peace with it. Look, he may come back. I understand that that's what happens. But in terms of, of players talking about their decision to retire, doesn't he sound more definitive than most? Like Brady, when Brady retired this offseason, it was like, uh, I'm retired. Are you really? Well, I don't know. I'm back. <laughs> oh, okay. Hi, Tom. I would be surprised if he came back. I would, too. Yeah, I think that's the answer. Yes. You would be very shocked if he's like, I've reconsidered him. Just for the reasons he just gave. And I know when, when Brady did retire, Wolf's whole thing where he believed it was, well, he referenced his family. J.J. Watches referenced his family there, too. Different people. You have been up close with him, I assume, in, in the time around the Cardinals in, in the last years. I have not. I imagine maintaining that physique and, and keeping it in football condition is not something where he can just decide, yeah, I'm going to play football again and then just go crazy in the weight room for a couple. I'm, I'm 
sure that's a 24-7, 365 thing, and that's another part of this where he's going to be shutting it off a little bit and not going as hard in the weight room. Also, you know, different position with Brady. You don't get hit very often if you're a quarterback, specifically if you're Tom Brady. And if you do, it's just called roughing the passer, whether it should be or not. You said this earlier, Kellen. J.J. Watt, him playing football means running into guys at full speed on a Tuesday morning when nobody's seeing it and there's no reward for it necessarily. Uh, one more here from J.J. Watt. What he is most proud of from his career? I don't know. That's a really tough question. Um, I mean, if I'm being honest, when, when I'm the most proud, when I feel the most proud, is when I'm... When I'm hanging out with my son, that's the most proud I ever am. Um, it's when I'm watching my wife play soccer. It's when I'm watching my brothers play. Um, that's that's when I'm the most proud. Like I, my accomplishments and my stuff is great, and I'll always have unbelievable memories. Um, and a lot of the memories that have been brought up over the last 24 hours from people in my life are things that I will take with me forever. Um, but family friends, teammates, like that's the stuff I'll be most proud of. I don't think I don't think I'm gonna look back and the first memory will never be a play I made or anything like that. It's gonna be the friendships and the memories. Something tells me in 15 to 20 years we're going to see J.J. Watt uh, being the anxious parent that I talked about earlier watching. Uh, that, that kid's got some good genes. He's going to be there with uh, with the kids, two uncles. He's going to win some medals for the United States of America in some Olympic event, I'm sure. Probably soccer and swimming or something. Uh, I, I lied. Here's one more. They asked him how some of his teammates reacted to the news. Not Jesse Locada, obviously, and not Colt McCoy. His reaction was pretty priceless as well. There's some people, I'm, I'm actually thankful, there's, there's some people in the building that I've known for a long time. Time. Um, maybe they thought I was joking, but like I mean, I've told people this is my last year for a long time. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful that everybody kept it quiet. I mean, you guys know I've had some issues with leaks in the past, so I'm very thankful. Um, but some people try and convince me to stay. That's crazy to me that people knew, and all the credit in the world to those people, if they they were like, yeah, I think he's serious, that that never leaked out. So I'll actually play this cut right here. Vance Joseph said that J.J. Watt told him three weeks ago. He told me three weeks ago he was going to not play again, you know, so we kind of knew that. Uh, He announced it with Tuesday. That we didn't know, but... um He's in good spirits, and obviously he's a new father, and that's important to him. And his wife wants to play, you know, pro sports again. You know, so he wants to be missing mom for a couple years, which is fun. You know, but yeah, I mean, his 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 life story, his playing career is obviously bar none. The fact that Vance Joseph could keep it a secret that doesn't shock me. But the second you tell somebody a secret and like more than one person knows it, especially in professional sports. Imagine you're a youth league uh, official and you turn around to the parent's side and hear someone arguing with a call and you've been hearing this voice all the day and you just turn around and you're like, you know what? And then you see 6'3", 300-pound J.J. Watt staring at you and you're like, I I just love you as a player, man. I'll work on it. Yeah, I made a bad call. I'll I'll officiate better. Uh, All right, that was Total Wattage. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. We come back to Suns. There was one positive to come out of the game last night. Is it a big enough positive? Is it exactly what they need? We'll talk about that next. It's Wolf and Luke, Kellen Olsen, and for Wolf on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke Middays, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All 
right, Suns lose to the Wizards last night. You know, one game is one game out of 82. It does put the Suns right now fifth in the Western Conference, three back of New Orleans for first, but also now just two ahead of Golden State for 10th, Kellen. So, again, is the situation dire? No, but you are two games out of 10th in the Western Conference, and you don't have Devin Booker, and you still don't have Cam Johnson, although it seems like he might be getting close, and you don't have Landry Shamit, or at least you didn't last night, and uh, campaign, obviously, as well. Um, the one thing that did stand out from the game last night, and you brought this up in the pre-show meeting, the three guys that you do have left, Mikel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, uh, and Chris Paul, played pretty well last night. Now, it didn't matter, ultimately, because you lost by 25, but that is something that could matter beyond last night. Yeah, so I know that Devin Booker factors into the equation here a bit with the stat that I'm about to drop, but there have only been three games this year where Mikel Bridges, DeAndre, and Chris Paul have all scored at least 15 points. That was one of them, and this was the only one of those three where all three of them took at least 15 shots. And I think that's been the latter stat is maybe the more important one than the former one, just because Mikel and Chris specifically are two guys that I think that everyone wants to see be more aggressive. But I think DeAndre, his shots are less about the shots showing up and more that they're getting giving him those shots. So the fact that he had 22 shots, I think we've seen him a lot in the last week or two. When he catches the ball from 14 feet out, he's just thinking like, I'm going to take the mid-range jumper if you're giving it to me right now. And teams are actually starting to, they used to kind of give it to him because he would only take it like a maybe once in a game probably twice, but maybe not more than twice. He would take that mid-range jumper, but now he's taking it maybe even like a half dozen times a game. It's a knockdown shot for him at this point, but it's just an easy way for him to get another shot up. And look, with the limited offensive options they have, it's a good shot for him. We're seeing McElper just handle a lot more of the ball, running side pick and rolls, things like that. And then we're starting to see Chris Paul get more and more aggressive by the game. Certainly not the level that he should be at right now at this point in the season, but he's starting to get there. So all of those were good signs on the offensive end, but the crazy thing is you you get all of those things. You get a team to shoot 42% from three, and they still only scored 102 points. And that's where that is where you just need to be more refined and just more in tune with everything else in your game, like the defensive end. And that's why that kind of game falls apart, despite those things all going so well for you. Because when you're shorthanded, there's just so much... The margin for error is so tiny right now that you just can't defend like the way they have been, even if a lot of things are going right on the offensive end. Like they did in this game still to only get 102, though. This was uh, Monty Williams after the game, uh, comparing it to the game or the effort against Memphis 24 hours earlier. Didn't have the same energy, focus to get to the paint tonight like we had last night in our rebounding. You know, it, it, it hurt us again. But again, it give them credit, man. They're big and they attack the paint. They made some tough shots to start the game, but we gave up 36.4 first quarter. That put us in a hole. It's complicated with the Suns this year. It's not as clear-cut as they're missing this, and when they get this, they'll be fine. It's not even as clear-cut as, hey, when everybody's healthy, they're a title contender. Like, I think that they are, but First of all, everybody might not ever be healthy at the same time. And contender is not the same as front runner as it was probably last year. Um, I look at these last three games, though, and with what he just said, how much of last night just specifically can you chalk up to the second half of a back-to-back? Now, I know what you said. Washington also played the night before. So you, you can't chalk all of it up to that. But if you could, you could at least look at the last three games and say, second half of a back-to-back loss to Washington, Win over Memphis, which was impressive. 
nearly beat Denver in Denver and you were extremely shorthanded and their best players were playing like some of the best players in the league, you, you could at least kind of look at the stretch and not panic. I don't know that you'd feel good about things, but at least not panic because the flip side to that is you could say, all right, they've won four games since December 4th. So what is that? Four and nine in their last 13. That's a little bit different. I think what Monty hit on at the end there is something that he's talked about a lot, and he talked about it, sure, like two, three years ago, but at this stage in the league right now, no team is really going to be a pushover. I mean, we saw the Pistons almost steal a win from them early in the year, and they're 9-28 and right now, but if you look across their schedule right now, like they've got the 15-19 and Toronto Raptors who are in 11th place right now in the Eastern Conference. It doesn't sound like much of a test, but then you think like Pascal Siakam is playing at a first-team All-NBA level right now. They've got Fred Van Vliet. They've got Scotty Barnes. Like These teams are just, the talent across the league is insane. They've got the New York Knicks coming up who are 18-17. and Again, just one game over 500. They don't sound like world beaters at all, but they've got Jalen Brunson, they've got Julius Randle, they've got a lot of young players playing well right now at the right time, and then you talk about a Washington team that is below Toronto in the standards, 15-21. They didn't even have Bradley Beal last night, and they were still able to throw Kyle Kuzma out there, they were able to throw Chris Epps Porzingis out there, high in talent, and then they've Rui got Hachimura. a guy like Rui Hachimura who you're saying that sarcastically, but I he's am. a former top 10 pick, and yes, he can just have that kind of night where everything kind of clicks for him because he's got that type of talent, and you just can't slouch at any point in this schedule, and that's why it is really important for them, especially right now, to take advantage of opportunities when they play a team like that, like Washington, who's in the bottom third of the league, because then they've got games coming up right now against Memphis again, and, they, and they've got these other matchups with teams that are going to pose real problems. I Cleveland mean, the, twice. Yeah, and Miami is coming up. They're only a game over 500, but that's a team that, I, I mean, the winning pedigree, pedigree speaks for itself there, and the All-NBA talent that they have on their roster as well from multiple players. I think that the, the league just doesn't offer you many breaks, and it doesn't offer you many opportunities to make up for when you take that kind of break and with the way that they played defensively last night like that's how I would treat it really it was just it was not a good effort their stretch coming up they've got a couple games here you know Friday and, and Monday but their stretch starting next Wednesday is Cleveland if you haven't seen Cleveland this year Cleveland is like legit you would agree Cleveland's legit Donovan Mitchell's playing out of his mind 22 and okay. 22 and 13, Donovan Mitchell. It's like fit like a glove over there, and they've already got a really exciting team outside of that. They're 16 and four at home. They've been a, they've been a force. So they get Cleveland next Wednesday. They go Cleveland, Miami, Cleveland, Golden State, Denver, Minnesota, Memphis, Brooklyn. That's a stretch of games there. There's not like games in there that are like, oh, there's some easier ones peppered in. That is a seven game stretch where the only even remotely easy team, I guess, would be Minnesota who traded everything they have for Rudy Gobert, and it's not quite working out. Three All-NBA players on their team, basically. Like Anthony Edwards is going to make one here soon. Yeah. Rudy Gobert has made one, and Carl Anthony Towns has made one. Yeah, that's, and that's your easy team, your easy opponent. So they're going to, what they did in Memphis the other night, they're going to have to steal some wins like that. You can't you can't just be like, well, it's a seven-game stretch. Look, we didn't have our players, so we went 1-82, one of long season ahead. Well, we're 36 games now in. And, and that's seven of 82 right there. And yeah. and to put this in perspective, what did they lose, 18 games last year total? And it's, it's less to me about winning right now to... It's less to me right now about winning for playoff positioning and everything because honestly, like they're just going to face some tough matchups wherever they go. Really, right now, like they cannot be. I don't think they should be seven or eight to not only avoid the plan but avoid like the juggernauts that are going to be a one or two. Which for now, I would guess is going to be New Orleans and Memphis. But we'll see what what other situations. All of a sudden, the Clippers have climbed up and they're twenty one and fifteen here. Maybe they're coming for that spot here pretty soon. But I think it's more important for them to just get some wins together to like find their momentum and start to really improve because I talked about that so much last year how. 
yes, getting into the playoffs, number one seed, all that is good, but are they improving over the course of the season? Because that's what championship teams do. Do you remember, this is going to be a hard one, but do you remember the the game against the Celtics in Boston last year where the Suns blew the doors off of them and were like, is Udoka going to get fired? What's going on here? And then in the second half of the season, they were the best team in the NBA. They improved at the right time. They came together at the right time, and they made the finals. Like That's the type of stuff you need to figure out. So I'm less concerned here about 500 or being a slightly under 500 or anything like that. Like, Can you patch together wins right now to stay afloat? And then so when everyone gets back and healthy, you're not chasing games in the standings. You're just more looking at the purpose of just getting better for April and May. I just I don't want to be in the play-in tournament. I don't want a scenario where you're playing... Dallas, let's say, in a, it's not, I guess, not a one and done if you're like the seven seed or the eight seed, but in a situation where Luca has a 50 point triple double, now you have to play against a Dame in a winner go home kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to even make the playoffs. And if you get through it, like you said, you get New Orleans in the first round or whatever. I, I'm not so concerned with the matchups. I, I think realistically, you can't be at this point. I was at the start of the season, and in a perfect world, I would be, but you, you can't be at this point. Now, that goes for most teams in the Western Conference. There's, I'm sure there's a lot, of, there's going to be good teams losing in the first round of the Western Conference, but I just, I don't want to be in the play-in tournament. They lost 18 games last year. They've lost 10 games in the last not even four weeks. So, yeah, the wins and losses don't matter as much, but they are going to start to if they keep if they keep adding up. That seven-game stretch I told you was in two games. So we're sitting here saying, oh, they lost 10 games in four weeks, and then in a couple weeks we're like, yeah, they lost 16 games in you know six weeks. Like, okay, that that will start to become an issue. Uh, we come back, final segment of the show, Colt McCoy out of concussion protocol, and he will be starting against Atlanta. Do you want Colt McCoy starting against Atlanta? We'll get into that. Maybe some other quarterback options for next year as well for the Cardinals. That's next. It's Wolf and Luke, Kellen Olsen, and for Wolf and Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This is me showing extreme trust in you, Kellen. I don't have that list of quarterbacks. I just assumed that you would find it, and then I proceeded to distract you during the entire break by talking to you. You mean the tab that I closed without thinking about it again when I pulled this tab up specifically because you asked me for it, and now I'm going to stall until I found it? Hey, I found it. Oh, that was fast. Okay. Yeah. okay. This is how people know that you are also a writer. Um, so this is a list of potential quarterbacks, realistically, that you could go out and get this offseason. And, and the, the genesis of this, obviously, is... Colt McCoy is going to be back this week. He is going to play against the Atlanta Falcons. This is Cliff Kingsbury yesterday giving the update. He's doing well. It looks like he'll start this week. So um, cleared the concussion protocol and it feels good. Uh, and then here's Colt McCoy's comments. You know, we're going for one goal. That's to win the game. And you know we've got a lot of we've had a lot of things go on this year that that we can't control. And um, ball hasn't bounced our way sometimes. But we're going to fight, and I want to be a part of that. No Colt McCoy comments. Now we're going to match what he said about JJ Watt's retirement. Did you hear that yesterday when he he found out by seeing it on the TV while he was eating breakfast with JJ Watt, <laughs> and he was like, "Wait a minute, what's this all about?" And JJ Watt's like. Yep. <laughs> so, a day late for Colt. So apparently Colt was not one of the guys that J.J. Watt told a few weeks ago. Sad. Um, so Colt McCoy is going to play, and that raises the question of, okay, as a Cardinals fan, do you want him playing or not? For multiple reasons. One, he probably gives you a better chance to win. I know there are Cardinals fans that while you're watching the game, you don't want them to lose. You don't want to see them lose. But big picture, you probably wouldn't mind having the third pick as opposed to the sixth pick in the draft. But then it also raises the question of, like, well, 
So is Trace McSorley not in your plans for next year? How are you going to attack the start of next year? Are you doing this because you're not sure what role Colt McCoy can play at the start of next year? What it comes back to, and we talked about this earlier, Kellen, is you probably need to have somebody in camp next year competing with Colt McCoy to start those games Kyler Murray can't play, assuming he misses games at the beginning of next year. Do you think I'm being too... Trying to think of the right word. Protective, I guess, to suggest that Colt McCoy shouldn't play these last two games because then if he gets hurt, you have no one at quarterback? Am I wrong to suggest that? No. (laughs) Because, so the main... You're not making me feel better about the situation. The main reason why Colt McCoy is playing is because this team needs a win. This organization needs a win. That, That is why he is playing. I really do not believe that one of the main reasons he is playing is to get two more games under his belt so he's more ready for next year. He's been around this offense long enough. He's been in this program long enough. He's been in the league long enough. One of the reasons why he is one of the most valuable backup quarterbacks in the league is specifically... Because of of that is that he's ready for any situation. So I doubt the two games he's going to be looking down from week one when they win week one and shock everyone. And it's not he's like, oh man, those two games I got seven months ago really really helped me for this moment. I doubt that is the case. I think it's more about him winning than anything. So you say, do do I want to see Colt McCoy? I don't want to see Colt McCoy because I want them to to lose. And I feel like he gives them a better chance to win. I'll admit that, but I also don't want to see him just to keep him protected. Honestly, because. Uh, have you seen how many hits he has taken and, and the state of this offensive line and the, the spot that it puts him in? I'm, I'm nervous about it. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And, and right now, playing quarterback for the Cardinals means getting hit. It, it just does. And, and getting hit pretty violently in some of these, uh, these instances that we've seen. I mean, they had two quarterbacks go down. They had one for a year, not the year, but like a year. Uh, and then that was on Monday. And then six days later, well, yeah, I remember McSorley's dad in hard knocks after the game was like, how was that? Are you, are you okay? Cause yeah. everyone saw that hit and was like, Oh my gosh, just gonna, who's going to play quarterback. And then he just got up and he was fine. And he told his dad afterwards too, like, yeah, I'm fine. Who is, but it looked like a violent hit. Corey Clement is the next quarterback back on the team right and he is a running back believe so yeah i think that's true i like i don't want to see deandre hopkins playing quarterback at the end of the season um i think where this is all going though is what are you doing at the start of next year now you're right if 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 you're asking me what cliff kingsbury is thinking right now especially after watching hard knocks last night and doing the interview with him every monday I think Cliff Kingsbury is thinking, how do we beat the Atlanta Falcons? Like, we talked to Max yesterday, and, and, and he was like, yeah, these last two games probably do impact whether or not they keep Cliff because they, they, if, if you go four and 13, they might just be like, look, we gotta, we gotta start over. If you go six and 11, it's not that. It's the, these guys kept playing for you and you won these last few games and then you can kind of spin it. If you're Michael Bidwell, it's like, look, everybody was hurt, bad circumstances. Maybe that's enough change. If we switch GMs and we move some players around, we give you another chance. I mean, if, the, even if that happens, Cliff starts next season on the hottest of hot seats. So I understand, like, he's just like, I just want to win a game. But big picture, they, they're going to have to figure out something for the start of next year. I feel a lot more comfortable if Colt McCoy is your backup quarterback to start next year. It, it does make you think about the team in a different light if they end on a high note with two wins in a row. I mean, you just think about the game last Sunday, right? Like, 
the result would not have changed how we felt about that game overall, which is that it was a mess to watch. It was an ugly football game, a boring football game at times, to be completely honest. But then at the end of the day, if they would have gone out in OT and scored a touchdown on the opening drive, we would have been like, man, what a hard-fought win. Can you believe that they won when Trace McSorley was facing Tom Brady and just the way we would have talked about it. And Cliff, at the, the clip we played a couple of times now where he's talking about at the end of the game, like just how much effort that they put in, but they just couldn't put together the win. If they would put together the win, we would have been talking about it differently. Yeah, and you know, to be fair, if they win these last two games, they're not beating San Francisco, but if they win these last two games, it's not going to make me feel any better about this season. They just haven't passed the eye test in a long time. But the, I was only saying this half-jokingly the other day. The last four games, they should have won each of those four games. I'm not saying they are a team that should be going 4-0 and in any stretch, but they should have beat the Chargers. They easily could have beat New England. Denver is an absolute disaster. And Tampa Bay's not really much better than Denver. They just are in a trash division. They were Those were four winnable games. And so, sort of to your point, Kellen... It does make you feel a little bit worse that they haven't found a way to win any of those games. Uh, I do think, though, that it could absolutely help shape the front office decisions that they make, whether it should or not. And even if it doesn't, if you're Cliff Kingsbury, what are you going to? You going to go out not trying to win these last two games? Like you got to do everything you can to try and stick around. But but to next year, because next year is is the bigger issue. The start of next year, you had that list. Of, of free agent quarterbacks or quarterbacks that might be available this offseason, who are some of the ones that stand out to you? Because to me, it was, it was Minshew mania instantly. Minshew, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback, Louisville. Here are three things you need to know about Teddy Bridgewater, a tough, gritty competitor. Bridgewater excelled in the rhythm and timing of Louisville's passing offense, although his pro day was not considered a plus. At 6'2", 214 pounds, Bridgewater doesn't have ideal size, although scouts say his football smarts and intangibles make him a good prospect. Bridgewater is well-respected by his teammates and shows excellent leadership skills. How did you have it queued up that quickly? Like, right as he was saying Bridgewater, you had it. Just lucky. (laughs) Want to play again? (laughs) That really ruined the whole magic of it. All right, Kellen, go ahead. Go ahead and try and say another name. Drew Locke. Yeah, there's no draft. (laughs) I know. Nobody recorded that. Baker Mayfield. There you go. Fine. Play the Baker Mayfield one. Oh, she doesn't have the... Mel Kuyper Jr. Player Profile. Competitiveness, desire to win, to excel, to lead. Players love him. Coaches love Baker Mayfield. Everything about Baker Mayfield indicates he can be a really good quarterback in the NFL. Super accurate throwing the football, on the move, in the pocket. Doesn't matter. Can he be a Drew Brees, Russell Wilson type? We shall see. The antics have to end. He's got to be the CEO of the football team. So he's really got to overcome two things. The lack of ideal height and the fact that he's got to be a professional, focused CEO that does everything right on and off the field. He has not overcome those two things so far. In his I career. do kind of like this bit. It's like revisionist history of like what hearing exactly what the narrative was around this each guy and, yeah. and seeing how it more or less in this kind of situation failed. Obviously, because if it succeeded, these guys wouldn't be free agents. Do we have the JJ Watt draft profile? Not for here, but just in general. I, I think Maloney has like JJ Watt defensive ends, Wisconsin. At six feet five inches, two hundred and ninety pounds, Watt has prototypical size to be an NFL defensive end. He's not in a elite pass rusher, but shows good closing speed to the quarterback. Watt uses his hands well and takes good angles in pursuit. He is the best in the draft at getting his hands up and affecting the quarterback's throwing lane. Watt is tenacious and has a great motor. 
So this guy's retiring in two weeks, and Maloney was just able to find his, his draft profile. Not a great pass rusher, according to the scouting reports. You're not going to blame it on Dave Burns since he no. reported it? No. Dave Burns has never been wrong. Well, he's right out there right now. I have to host a show with him tomorrow. Relax. Get to. <sighs> See, why did you do that to <laughs> You me? just said have to. Uh, anyway, Gardner Minshew of those names. is Gardner Minshew and the, the mania J. of the Minshew. J.J. Watt would be my second choice for quarterback to start next year. How's that? Just put him out there and see what he can do. Quarterback that can hit people. All right, that'll do it for us here today. Thanks to uh, Aaron Maloney for everything behind the glass. Jesse Morrison as well. For Kellen Olson. Kellen, thanks for stopping by, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Uh, for Kellen Olson, I'm Luke Lipinski. we got Burns and Gambo coming up next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.